0: Well, good morning and welcome again. So excited about the opportunity just to to be here with you this morning and be able to walk through God's Word together. We are continuing our Matthew sermon series, and this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 10. If you recall, over the past couple of weeks, we've been walking through Matthew chapter 10 together. And in the first section of Matthew 10, we looked at Matthew one. Uh, Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15, where Jesus commissioned his disciples and prepared them to be sent out um, into the world. And then last week we looked at... at what awaited the disciples as they were being sent out into the world. And you remember what was awaiting them? Persecution was awaiting them. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the cost of discipleship. I love this morning that as we are walking through Matthew 10 together, as we are looking and talking about making disciples, and being made into disciples. As we are doing this here, um, some 3,000 miles away from us in South America, in Mbato, Ecuador, we have a team from this church that are doing that very thing. They are making disciples. As I stand here and preach to you this morning, Ken Torrey is is in a church in Mbato, Ecuador, preaching and sharing his testimony with those that that, that are in attendance at that church this morning. Isn't that exciting when you think about it? When you think about our responsibility as a church to go and make disciples, we've got a team right now that's on the ground making the making disciples. A couple weeks ago at this church, we spent um, four days doing that very thing with a group of children on this campus. We were making disciples, equipping them and sharing the good news of salvation with them. A few weeks before, that? We had a team that was in in New York making disciples. That is what we are called to do. We are called to make disciples as well as to be made into disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, he said, Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All of us have been set apart and called by God to make disciples. There is no shortage of those that need to be reached, is there? The shortage is in those who have been called to go, not being obedient to the Great Commission and going. As I shared a few weeks ago, just like the harvest is time sensitive, so are the souls of men and women and students and children that we encounter. Their salvation is time sensitive because they are not guaranteed tomorrow. That is why it is so urgent that we are obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and go when he told us to go. We read in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 42. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there this morning. We've got a large chunk of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so let's, let's, let's get to it. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 42, we read this. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sowed for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Then are the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Who never gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he he will by no means lose his reward. Man, there's a lot of rich text that's in this passage of Scripture this morning. We probably should break this up into about four or five sermons. But if we did that, then we would spend about four or five years walking through Matthew um, together. And so we're going to try and 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 hit all of these points this morning to the very best of our ability. But before we do that, let me ask you a question this morning. In your sermon notes, you you see the question there at the top of your page. What does a disciple look like? If you had to jot down in a few words what a disciple looked like, could you do that? You know, just right there, that question, what does a disciple look like? Jot down a few things, a few characteristics of a disciple if you have a bulletin this morning in your sermon notes. You and I are Christ followers. We have been set apart by God to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation, to make disciples, and to baptize people along the way. We are disciple makers. That's what we were commissioned by God to be. And as we look this morning at the cost of discipleship, Understand that there is a great cost. And we just read over and over in Matthew chapter 10 of the cost to be a disciple. John MacArthur in his commentary wrote, Because the truths of Matthew chapter 10 are so foundational and so profound, believers who have wholeheartedly lived out these truths are the men and women who have made great marks on the world for Jesus Christ. They are the ones with total dedication, Total commitment and total obedience. Many of you know that one of my heroes of the faith is, is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador and where our team is this morning. And he reached out to the Aqua Indians of Ecuador. Before he went to Ecuador, he wrote in one of his journal entries these words. He said, God, I pray thee, Light these idol sticks of my life, that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. God answered Jim Elliot's prayer. And Jim Elliot went to Ecuador, and he tried with all of his might to reach this particular unreached people group, this group of Indians. And as a result of him trying to penetrate them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he actually lost his life before he ever shared the good news of salvation with them. But in his death, his wife and the wives of these other men that also lost their lives continued to work amongst those people that people group, and many, many, many of them trusted Jesus as their Lord. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher and theologian and God used to bring about revival in colonial America as well as around the world, wrote this in one of his journal entries. He said, I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or its members, no right to this tongue, to these hands, feet, ears, or eyes. I have given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. A disciple of Jesus Christ does that very thing. We give up everything for the sake of Christ in us so that he can work through us. Notice point number one this morning. It is this, a disciple's courage. A disciple's courage. First sub-point is a fearlessness against darkness. In verses 23 through 28a, we read, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You know, that very first phrase there that we read. So have no fear. The phrases fear not, have no fear. Do not be anxious. do not worry are mentioned dozens upon dozens of times in god 's word. In fact, I heard this morning as or not this morning, but this week as I was coming over to work, I was listening to um, one of the the radio stations and the sermon that was being preached. The preacher indicated that three hundred and sixty five times in god 's word this word Do not are the word or phrase. Do not fear is used 365 times. Do not worry. And another pastor actually indicated that it's used 366 times. Three, one for every day and then an added one for leap year. So what, what do we learn from do not fear? Jesus does not want us to fear. He wants us to place our hope and faith and trust in him. In 2 Timothy one seven, we read, Fear, our for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We are to be fearless people because we have the spirit of God that dwells within us. When you and I became Christ followers, no longer were we driven by the spirit of fear, but we were driven, and are driven by the spirit of the Lord. There is freedom that comes from the spirit of God, not fear. The spirit of God releases us from the spirit of fear. You know, we are told in this passage of scripture that we are to fear God. The second sub point is fear of God. Jesus instructs us in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Satan may, may be able to manipulate us and seek to destroy our bodies, but he cannot destroy our soul. We should never, as followers of Christ, compromise our faith because we are afraid Or we are fearful of what people can do to us outside of the doors of this church. They may be able to harm this physical, fleshly body that we have, but they cannot harm the Spirit of God or our spirit. That dwells within us. As we looked at last week, we can expect persecution as believers of Jesus. There will be persecution from the religious establishment, there will be persecution that comes from government, there will be persecution that comes even from within our own families and society. But in the midst of all of that, we are told, by God, do not fear. Make no mistake about it. You and I are treasured by God. In verses 29 through 31, we read, Are not two sparrows sowed for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I love that. That's one of my favorite passages of scriptures. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Even for us follically challenged people in this room, God still knows how many hairs are on our head. I love that. I mean, it's just something fun that's that's in God's word that's there. But that tells you right there how valuable we are to God. God values his creation. The birds of the air and the animals of the ground, he values. But you and I are of so much more value, value than they are. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. This world does not love you. This world ultimately is out to destroy you. The Lord, though, wants to save you and restore you because you are of utmost value to him. We are all of value to God. Despite what this world tells you, despite what maybe even your family members may tell you, you are of utmost value to God. Notice our second point this morning is this, a disciple's confession. A true disciple of Jesus Christ openly confesses him before the world. Think about that. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is not ashamed of Jesus, but ultimately confesses Jesus in this world. As I was preparing for this message, I came across um, a story that is shared of three young children. Between the ages of 11 and 15, in 1885, these three young children lived in Uganda. And they were approached, and because of their Christianity, they were told that they needed to recant their belief in Jesus Christ. They needed to renounce their faith in Christ. The king adamantly opposed Christianity and ordered these boys to, to recant or they would be executed. At the place of execution, the boys asked that the following message be given to the king. These boys said this, tell his majesty that he has put our bodies in the fire, but we won't be long in the fire. Soon we will be with Jesus, which is much better. But ask him to repent and change his mind, or he will land in a place of eternal fire. As they stood bound in that fire pit, awaiting their death, it is said that they began to sing. And this song became known as the martyr song in Uganda. And the, one of the, the lines from that song goes like this. Oh, that I had wings like the angels. I would fly away and be with Jesus. The youngest of the boys' name was Yesufu. He said this, please don't cut off my arms. I will not struggle in the fire that takes me to Jesus. An 11-year-old boy said that. Just mind-boggling when you think about it. Because of the boy's testimony that day, 40 adults trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it is said that hundreds of others would die a martyr's death because they too became Christ followers. They too were forced to renounce the name of Jesus, chose not to, and they died a martyr's death. You and I are, are... are instructed in Scripture to make a public profession of our faith. In verses verse 32 of chapter 10 we read, "So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father, who is in heaven. When you and I publicly identify as Jesus Christ, when we publicly identify as being a child of God then we have this promise that Jesus will acknowledge us to our Father and in, in Romans 116 Paul wrote these words for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first And also to the Greek. When I was in high school, I was at a camp or I was at a conference, and a pastor was sharing with us. And he shared a poem that, even to this day, um, probably has meant. as much to me as any poem that I've ever read, just because of the passion that is spoken of in this poem. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed, and many of you have probably heard this before, but it goes like this. The die has been cast. I stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I am no longer, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough. My companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought compromised, deterred, lured away, Turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, and preach until all know. And when my time is up, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You and I should have that kind of resolve for our lives. Where we are about advancing the gospel regardless of the cost to ourselves. We need to demonstrate that kind of passion for Jesus. Notice that there is a consequence for being ashamed of Christ Jesus consequential denial. In verse 33, we read, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. The person who is unwilling to identify with Jesus Christ here on this earth will spend an eternity separated from him in a real literal place called hell all of us have a choice. We can either choose to believe in Jesus or we can choose to reject Jesus. For those who choose to believe in Jesus and publicly profess Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives, then we have this promise in scripture that that Jesus will confess us before the Father. For those who choose not to believe in Jesus, those who choose not to profess Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, in a public sense, we are told right here that, that, that Jesus will deny us before the Father who is in heaven. We must choose to believe in Jesus and publicly profess him as our Lord to not do so will result in eternal separation from God the Father. Notice point number three this morning is this, a disciple's commitment. Your commitment and my commitment, your loyalty and my loyalty, your allegiance and my allegiance as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to Jesus Christ above and before anyone and anything else. He is to be number one priority in our lives. That is what we have been called to. That is the allegiance that Jesus demands from us. But so often Jesus isn't number one, is he? He's number two or number three or number four or number 10 or whatever. I'll never forget as a high school senior, I sat down with my favorite high school coach. His name was Coach Art. And I remember sitting across the table from him, and he was a a strong believer. And he asked me to bring to this meeting, as he did all of the other players on the team, to bring to him our top ten priorities and And so, I was trying to probably impress him a little bit more than I should have, and I remember on that form thinking, "Hey, football coach he's going to want me to put number one um, football, and so I think I put football number one, and I put family, and I don't know on that top ten list where God was. I don't remember to this day where he was, but I know that he was not number 1. And I remember that coach looking at me and telling me in that locker room, he said that that football is important, school is important, your family is important, but nothing is more important than your relationship with God. And and that stuck with me. There is nothing in our lives more important than our relationship with God the Father. Notice if we place God first in our lives, and we can be certain of this, that Jesus is divisive. Okay, the very name of Jesus divides families. We see here in verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, the Jews, what were they looking for? They were looking for a peaceful king. Okay, they were looking for a king that was going to come and assume his position in Jerusalem, and he was going to bring about peace on the earth, and he was going to eradicate the the Roman government and the oppression that they were experiencing from Rome, and he was going to establish a peaceful throne. But Jesus did not come to establish peace, did he? Jesus came and he shook things up. Not only did he shake things up then, some 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is still shaking things up today, isn't he? He's shaking up the religious establishment. He's shaking up governments. He's shaking up families. He's shaking up societies and he's shaking up the hearts of men. Every single one of us are shaken to the core because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the moment of our salvation. And we know that Jesus is divisive and we know that he divides family as subpoint B. We read in verses thirty five through thirty seven it says, For I came. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Man, those are some strong scriptures right there. Man, those are some that are really hard for us to wrap our mind around. Um, as I was, I came across an illustration by Charles Spurgeon, um, and, it, and it said that whenever he was twenty years of age. He was heading to church with his fiance, and when he got to the church, there was already a loud, large crowd that was there to hear him preach and, and he, he began to fight his way through the crowd to go to the platform to to stand before the people to preach god 's word and he did that very thing he preached god 's word that, way, that day before hundreds of people, even as a young twenty year old and after the service was over, and the crowds began to 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 leave. He looked around for his fiance, but could not find her anywhere. And so he walked to her house. And when he got to her house, he noticed that she was sitting on the front porch and she had been crying and weeping. And, and she, she said this to Charles, she said, Charles, you left me in that crowd all alone. And you weren't even concerned where I was. This is what he said in response. He said, I'm sorry, but perhaps what happened was providential. I didn't intend to be impolite, but whenever I see a crowd like that waiting for me to preach, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of responsibility. I forgot about you. Now let's get one thing straight. I will have to be, it will have to be the rule of our marriage that the command of my master comes first. You shall have the second place. Are you willing as my wife to take a second place while I give the first place to Christ? Let me ask you a question, ladies. If during your courtship with your husband, if he set you down and he said to you that you have to take second place to God the Father, how would you have responded to that? And some of you in this room would probably have been overwhelmed knowing that, that, that God is of such value to your husband. But others of you in this room may not have responded that way because at that time, your relationship with the Lord isn't where it is today. But here's the reality. All of us, all of our earthly relationships take second place to our relationship with God the Father. In verse 37, we read probably one of the most divisive passages of Scripture in God's Word, as well as one of the most misunderstood passages in all of God's Word. It says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean... Is Jesus really telling us here that we are to have a hate for our parents or a hate for our children or a hate for our extended families or friends? Is the God who gave us command number five, which said, honor your father and your mother, really instructing us here to have a hate for our parents? Absolutely not. God is not telling us to do that at all. What he is instructing us to do, what the Lord Jesus Christ is instructing us to do here is he is telling us that our love for God the Father should be so great that our love for everyone else should look as hatred compared to our love for Jesus Christ. I wish that I could say that my love for God the Father is that kind of love, but it is not where it needs to be. Every single day I strive to love God more. We all should strive to love God more. And as we strive to love God more, it's going to look like our love for others is less. But in all reality, when we love God more, guess what's going to happen? We're going to love our spouses more and our children more, our families more, and our friends more. Notice sub-point three here. It's Jesus' sacrificial call. In verse 38, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What is the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what the greatest hindrance is? It's ourselves, isn't it? It's us that gets in the way of what God has called us to do. He has called us to identify with his form of execution before he ever went to the cross. He said that we are to take up our cross and follow after him. That is not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy thing to process. Can you imagine the disciples as they sat and listened to Jesus and was preparing to send them out saying, hey, you need to take up your cross and follow after me, your form of execution and follow after me. The reality was this. What Jesus was saying is that, that that well, all but one of them would die a martyr's death. We see here that Jesus also calls us to abandonment. In verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Last week I shared a quote with you from C.T. Studd that said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He also said this as he was on his deathbed. He shared these words with his daughters. He said, I wish I had something to give you, but I gave it all to Jesus a long time ago. Oh, that you and I would have the same kind of response on our deathbeds. We gave away all of our resources. We gave away all of our talents. We gave away all of our life's blood for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In closing this morning, our final point is this a disciple's compensation. Notice that there is a personal reward as a disciple of Christ. Verses 40 through 41, we read, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. The promise of a future eternal kingdom, that is our ultimate reward. This life will one day fade away. One day, all of us will close our eyes for our final Time. And for the believer, we shall awake in the very presence of Jesus. For the unbeliever, you shall wake to an eternal separation from God. And when we stand one day in the very presence of God the Father, we will receive an eternal reward. And our ultimate reward is Jesus. But because of the works that we have done here on earth, we also shall be rewarded for those. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will." well with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away our ultimate reward is jesus but once again we also will be rewarded for the things that we've done here on earth in this body and there is not a a single thing that will go unnoticed when we do it unto the lord even the smallest things will be rewarded in verse 42 we read and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water because he is a disciple truly i say to you he will by no means lose his reward no act of service Goes unlooked by God the Father. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said, And the king will answer them Truly I say to you, as you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You and I know as we walk through this book together that there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said that this would be easy. Somehow along the way, we have interpreted as Americans that the life of a Christian is an easy life. But there is nothing about being a disciple of Christ that is intended to be easy because Jesus said last week that he was going to be sending us out in the midst of wolves, in the midst of predators that are going to tear us apart when we're about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a physical cost for being a disciple of Christ, but the reward far outweighs the cost, doesn't it? The reward Being a disciple of Jesus Christ far outweighs the cost of being a disciple of Christ. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know for certain where you would spend eternity. You know, you may have made a decision somewhere along life's journey. You may have one, one day on, uh, in your bedroom, you may have got down on your knees and you may have prayed a prayer. You may have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but you have never made a public profession of Christ before other people. And let me invite you this morning, if you fall into that category, to come and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior today and profess before man, that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You may be here this morning, and the Lord has um, is leading you to come to be a part of this faith family. We would love for you to come to be a part of Friendship Baptist Church. God's doing so many exciting things and we're excited about the future. You may have been visiting a while and today's the day that the Lord is leading you to become a member of this church and we welcome you. You may this morning as a result of a message like this, you may need to where you're at just to you may need to remain seated. You may need to just close your eyes and pray. I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. Our praise team is going to come up here and they're going to sing. And as they lead us in worship, I'm going to invite you to come. Let's stand together and and pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, I know that this message that we've walked through, there's so much within it. Lord, Mentally and spiritually it's so hard to take in such a a, a a a large amount of truth. but Father, I pray that your word has been received this morning. I pray that it has not fallen on deaf ears. Father God, I pray this morning that if there is one in this room that has yet to publicly profess you as Lord and Savior of their life, that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, there may be some in this morning that that have been visiting this church for a while, and today is the day that you're leading them to become members. We welcome them. Father, you may have all of us in this room. Where we're at, either sit or stand and just pray. And pray that you would give us opportunities to proclaim the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with. Father, pray for boldness. Pray, pray for um, just opportunities. I don't know what decision needs to be made this morning, but I know that you do. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just move during this time of invitation. First, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a decision you need to make this morning. You come. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. Come join this church. You come. You come now as our praise team sings. You come. <clears throat>